Happy New Year and welcome to the Haas Hopcast. On this episode, we talk with our friends from Revolution Brewing in Chicago, Illinois, brewmaster Jim Seaback, brewing manager Evan Isaac. It's a great episode. RH3000, our collab, their 3000th brew at Revolution. Pretty cool stuff. We get into hops, efficiencies, all kinds of fun on this episode of the Haas Hopcast. Let's tune in. Hi, it's Micah Colley with the Haas Hopcast, a very special edition today from Chicago, Illinois. We've got our friends from Revolution Brewing, Jim Seaback, Evan, how are you guys? Good, good. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Weather's, uh, weather's good there in Chicago? All in all, uh, all things considered, we're not going to complain. We got about four inches of snow and it's 37 degrees. It could be a lot worse than that, so uh, we're not complaining. <laughs> Yeah, you guys aren't afraid of snow either. We are not. No, we're not. Yeah, thanks for making time to chat with us. Uh, you guys want to give us a little bit about your roles at the brewery, Jim and, and Evan? What do you what do you do for Rev? Kev, do you want to go for it? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, I am the brewery operations manager at Revolution. I've been with the company for uh, about just over seven years now. Um, kind of started in packaging there and, and worked my way up. So I've seen a little bit of everything. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I have been the brewmaster at Revolution Brewing Company since we started. It's been a great, uh, a great company to work with. Josh has been an old friend of mine. We used to brew together back at Goose Island in the day. Um, I've had the you know, the amazing opportunity, I've been brewing for quite a while now, I've had the opportunity to work at some amazing breweries and with some amazing brewers, uh, starting with uh, Goose Island and Three Floyds and Firestone, and then coming back into town. And uh, right when this perfect timing, Josh was getting ready to open up a Revolution Brewing Company. Uh, back in 2008 and nine, we were working on getting the pub up and running. Uh, which was really fun. We had the opportunity to really get deeply involved in the construction and the setup of that brewery. Um, and, you know, when we opened up in Logan Square, there were no other breweries there. And it's hard to believe how many are there now. It's really, really amazing. And it's super cool to see. Uh, we're very proud of our place in uh, Chicago's brewing history. And, you know, the pub opened officially in 2010. And uh, Josh is a very aggressive minded brewer and uh, businessman and he saw a great opportunity he's like we need to open up a production brewery here and really start canning our beer and getting it out there and um, so we opened up the Kedzie facility which is our uh, main production facility uh, where all our canning and kegging is done uh, for all our distributors and uh, that opened in 2012 so very shortly after the pub was open and we started there, uh, started at the pub with a 15 barrel brew system. And then our, our first system at Kedzie was a uh, 45, uh, technically a 45 barrel system, but we pushed the limits on it and would normally knock out about 60 barrels, sometimes 60 plus, wow. uh, much to the chagrin of uh, the producers of our brewery. They're like, that's not a, you know, that's not a 70 barrel brew house. I'm like, well, there's 70 <laughs> barrels in the whirlpool. So I think it is a 70 barrel. <laughs> <laughs> or it is now at least. And uh, God, I'm trying to remember of when did we implement brew house number two, which is a 150 barrel brew house. Was that I think it was 2015? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was that is brew house two, and that is our main 
uh, yeah. production brew house now uh, allows us to send about 135 barrels of work to the fermentation tank per brew, which is great for us. It really helps. It gives us a lot of brewing power. And uh, brew house number one is still intact and in place, and it gives us the ability to do some really cool things. Um, what we'll do is use the power of brew house two. And if we're doing a small batch and we don't want to try to boil 50 barrels in our big brew kettle, we can divert the work to uh, brew house number one brew kettle, or we could use the whirlpool in brew house number one, or we could kettle sour and sour wort in brew house number one while we're still brewing in brew house two. So it gives us a lot of flexibility and a lot of, a lot of opportunities to really create and do some really cool things. Uh, we've done a lot of second runnings beers with uh, brewing so many deep wood beers and which allowed us to brew some really cool uh, different unique styles. And off of like, say a barley wine, we ended up brewing our straight jacket barley wine. And then with the second runnings, we, we uh, ended up boiling that in brew house number one with a, uh, with, and fermenting with our lager yeast. And we created a little Vienna lager out of that, which didn't disappoint any of the brewers, let me tell you. <laughs> That's impressive. And a lot of this has led to your growth, not just the diversity in your brands, but you guys do a lot of different beers. You do them really well. Um, and I think hearing that, um, you know, how you kind of set things up or prepare to do that uh, gives you that flexibility. But the growth has been significant. I mean, you said you started in packaging, Evan. Uh, you guys are cranking out the barrelage, and we've all had a, a challenging couple of years, but you guys are still doing upwards of 70,000 barrels, right? Yep, yep, that's correct. So it keeps your packaging teams busy. Have you had to increase your packaging line and, and uh, put a new can line, or has everything kind of been using the old system there, Evan? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, just this year we uh, kind of switched from doing pack text to um, cartons, which which actually increased the, the speed of production quite a bit for, for some of our packages there. But yeah, I mean, within the last few years, I mean, we've pretty much replaced most of our old old packaging, if not all. <laughs> so nice. um, yeah, it, there's been a lot of changes. Well, it's impressive. You guys got it a great is. team. It really I, is. I know David's one of my one of my favorites. Jimbo. I mean, the whole crew. Maddie. We could go down the <laughs> list of every every brewer on your team that's uh, bringing a lot to the party uh, from an energy standpoint, recipe standpoint. Andy. Um, well, let's talk about some of the beers, you guys. Antihero is obviously uh, the flagship for Rev. Can we talk about that a little bit and how that beer came together and some of the hops in that? Absolutely. You know, Antihero is our, uh, it's our flagship IPA. It's the beer that we brew the most and sell the most. And the beer that we brew the most, which is great because when you brew something more and more with rep with a lot of repetition, it really allows you to really kind of dial things in, dial in the color, the clarity, the bitterness, you know, the hop aroma. Really, we have that, a very strict regimen of when we're harvesting yeast, when we're dry hopping, when we're, uh, testing to pass uh, VDK and crash the tank. So uh, that brewing that beer so frequently has allowed us to really, really dial, dial it in. And it, it's really cool because it's a great super sessionable beer. It's right around 60 to 65 IBUs on average, uh, dry hopped with some Peniel, Chinook, Cascade, a little bit of Citra in there as well. And one of my favorite hops, uh, good old Crystal, which 
is uh, often overlooked, but uh, it's a, a gentlemanly hop or gentle, gentle person's hop. You know, we, we love that hop and we love to, to blend that into dry hops. It really is very classy and it, it's a really cool hop because it, it carries with it some of the fruity citrusy characteristics of uh, like a cat, say a cascade, but also it has a little bit of herbally noble character as well, which I really dig. And I think it makes for a very, very unique uh, dry hop and just a very clean, uh, you know, fresh aromatic in the beer. It's like all clean, classic uh, hops in that beer. Um, basically, the, the main malt in that, the base malt is pale ale malt. So the, it gives the beer a really nice, nutty, toasty, little biscuity underlying character underneath all the hop aroma and flavor. And, you know, we just wanted this to be our, uh, we didn't want it to be a beer that was going to offend anybody. We wanted it to be uh, impactful enough for serious beer drinkers. We want to have the nice, fresh, floral, citrusy, piney hop aromatics uh, from all those classic hops in this beer. But we also wanted the bitterness to be in check and be balanced as well. We want it to be a beer that you can hang out and drink several of and, you know, pairs well with food. Uh, it, it's, it's not very dry and crisp. It has a very nice malt backbone to it. Uh, we always shoot for balance. It's one of the things Evan probably hears me say quite a bit is like, we're no matter what type of beer you're brewing, whether it's a 15% barrel aged barley wine or a, you know, three and a half percent dark English mild ale. You want them all to be balanced and you want them all to be cool. So we uh, are very, very proud of producing beers that are, you know, sessionable. And we like to have the, the full package. We want it to look nice. We want it to be, uh, have a beautiful head on it. Uh, I'm definitely a kind of a, a serious foam person. I, I love seeing a really nice, foam on on my beard when it's not poured with a nice foam and jim starts getting upset virgil jeff max our brew crew we we would be in alignment there with you on that anti-hero is the kind of anchor beer as you talked about but the hero series has really taken off and these uh, league of heroes the the different packs that you put in there um any any ones that stick out to you that are fun evan in your mind that are like that's one of my favorite hero beers or um i like this one for this reason yeah, yeah, I think uh, one of the one of the newer ones that we uh, just packaged was Sub Zero, which is a cold IPA actually, but uh, it is dry hopped with uh, Zappa, and yeah, I mean that that one's just super interesting to me, honestly. Uh, it's it's got uh, a lot of unique characteristics to it, and it's, it's just an easy drinker all around. I mean, I. But yeah, I mean, League of Heroes is really our way to play with new hops and you know get them get them out into the world. So I'm a I'm a big fan of that pack altogether. It's rotating, so you know I think year what are we on now? I think we're on uh, League of Heroes. This is our 16th pack that we've put out, which is quite impressive. So a lot of different hops. Some of the brands get recycled a little bit and, uh, you know, you'll see them pop up again, but yeah, always, always room to play around creatively with those. So it's a fun pack. It's always challenging in a competitive marketplace where you have consumers that want something new all the time. And I think the, the league of heroes offers that, um, yep. allows you guys to experiment as well. You got a great, great team from that standpoint. You guys have always been very innovative, um, from my perspective and getting to know you. But you like to go, as I call Jim, all in on a lot of things. It's not just um, 
not just one or the other. Can you talk about your philosophy, Jim, on building a beer and especially a beer with products that would maybe use extract or oils or something different that is, is not taboo anymore, but just um, kind of the way things have been going from a, a yield standpoint when you're dry hopping at eight pounds a barrel or five pounds a barrel? Indeed. Uh, you know, when we look at putting together a new beer for the Hero Pack, we're always trying to make sure that the grain bill is different every time. We don't want to just recycle the, the same grain bill and use different hops. So we take a lot of pride in really trying to mix those grain bills up and use different base malts, uh, use showcase one specialty malt, or excuse me, uh, specialty malt in there, try to create some different color, flavor, aromatics, uh, and also texture in the beer as well. We love playing with rye malt, wheat malt, um, flaked grains in these beers as well. We like to mix it up and create some really nice uh, texture in beer. And that's a wonderful thing. It's like uh, you want a beer to be nice and crisp, especially an IPA, but you don't want it to be super dry. And that balance has got to be there. It's like if it's going to be dry, you need to kind of manage your IBUs and make sure they're not 95. Otherwise, you're going to kind of have a beer that's a little rough around the edges in the end. But we always take that into consideration. We're trying to also showcase a particular hop in there. And uh, most of the time when we do it, it's primarily in the dry hop. But whenever we are showcasing a new hop, a lot of the new hops are, you know, they're, they're amazing and they're very, uh, these new varieties are very pungent and very aggressive. So we always like to, even if we are showcasing a particular hop, we like to layer in some of the good, good old classics like Centennial and Cascade, uh, some crystal in there as well. We feel that it really kind of helps to really kind of take any of the rough edges off of a hop that's really, really aggressive and just kind of show all the great aromatics and flavor that that, uh, that hop can provide. And sometimes on its own, it might be a little too much or a little too aggressive. So we definitely have a philosophy in blending for, for dry hopping. Uh, not only for complexity, but also to kind of hedge bets against, uh, you know, availability as well. You guys have been amazing and, and our other hop suppliers as well as uh, supplying us with what we need. So we haven't had any supply issues, um, but we like to hedge our bets and make sure, that, you know, especially in a beer like Antihero that we're brewing so much, we rely on a, on a nice blend uh, for that dry hop and you know, for some reason, God forbid, if we couldn't get any uh, Cascade or any Crystal, you know, you wouldn't know that they're even gone. So uh, just because we would, we have that pretty aggressive uh, blend in there. So it, it's for complexity, but it's also really to kind of protect us as well, just in case we're not able to get something. Yeah, it's smart, smart move, especially in an interesting or uncertain or challenging market that uh, can kind of come and go with market trends or growers and what, what the need is. I want to kind of move this to the double dry hop series because this definitely falls in line with that when you're building a little bit bigger uh, beer IPA flavor profile. You guys have been putting these out for a while. They seem to be a big hit with those beer drinkers. So you're kind of offering that next level of flavor and intensity. So let's talk about DDH and then get into one of my favorite projects uh, from my career, RH3000. <laughs> yes, our, our DDHs uh, have been really popular for us and they've been fun to experiment with. We, like I said, we have really leaned very heavily on a lot of the flaked materials, flaked wheat, flaked oats, 
uh, rye malt, wheat malt, and we always mix up those different combinations in these beers to try to create unique malt profiles and texture as well. Uh, the DDH program has been focusing on hazy IPAs. Most of our uh, hazy IPAs that we will put in the Hero Pack were dry hopping right around three to four pounds per barrel. Uh, but when we're doing these DDHs, we get a, a little more savage and get up there into the six to seven pound per barrel range. I, I know that's, that isn't a lot compared to what uh, some folks had. I've heard stories of 11 to 15 pounds per barrel, but Josh Ooh. would have a stroke if... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we focus on creating these hazies and we're really experimenting with different hop combinations, times that we're going to be adding these hops things that were foreign to me, like back when I started brewing, I never thought or dreamed that we would ever actually drop hop pellets into yeast slurry in the tank. I mean, that, that would, if, if future Jim uh, came and told Jim of the past about that, he would uh, not believe it by any means. <laughs> so we've done some pretty wild things and, um, you know, we've just been trying to learn too. It's like talking to as many brewers as possible. And I think that's where brewers really learn about using different products. And, you know, when we're brewing these big, strong beers and you're using heavy loads of hops, it's like that's where you really start thinking about using some alternative products. And we've always tried to be on the, on the cutting edge or um, ahead of the curve on using some of these things to not only increase intensity in hop flavor and aroma, but also uh, yield impact as well. Uh, we've been using CO2 bittering extract uh, for quite a while now. And I mean, that saves so much work from going, being absorbed in the true pile and ending up uh, being eaten by a cow somewhere on, on a farm. You know, it really helps with the, with the bottom line. And as, as brewers, we have to be, uh, in some respect, artists, but we have to be businessmen as well. It's like, you don't want to brew, fill the kettle to 140 barrels and then, you know, end up with, five barrels of finished beer. I mean, that, that's, that's not why we're in this business. It's like, we wanna, we wanna maximize impact of hop aroma and flavor, but we also maximize that yield as well. Yeah, it makes it challenging, especially it depends on your distribution model or how you're kind of going to market or what you need to do. I know we had had conversations about um, RH3000, which is a double dry hop beer, and it has a lot of different innovative products in it incognito. Spectrum Lupo Max, but it's, it was a very expensive beer to produce, but seems like the yield, we were a little wondering what the yield would turn out like and what the flavor would be like. And let's talk about this project. I, I got Jeff Barnes, one of our innovation brewers here and Jeff Max worked very closely with your team on the recipe development and good synergy here. It was a very fun project, a, a true collaboration, you know, something we've been talking about for years and suggesting with our visits out to Yakima for hop selection, we we're like, yeah, we need to do a collab beer. We need to do a, a collab beer. And, and we, I felt like every year we kept getting a little closer to the final goal of doing this brew. And it, it came together pretty quickly uh, last year. So it was really great to finally get the go ahead so we could really start talking recipes, start talking about uh, the can design, all of which I think were, were really cool. But I, I think one of our primary focuses on this project and one of the things we really wanted to showcase is how well all these alternative hop products uh, work together. And, you know, it, it's funny because sometimes people think, oh, you can only use whole hops, you can only use pellets. But, uh, you know, 
I think when you're looking for a yield standpoint in your beer, it's like you need to be willing to experiment and try different things. Otherwise, you kind of get left behind because uh, there's so many great products out there that can increase your hop character, you know, the intensity of your aroma and flavor, and also just, you know, save so much work from going down the drain or being absorbed in a true pile. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing what's out there now. And I think that if you don't take advantage of this new technology and all these great products and all the smart people that know about it uh, on your guys' end, uh, you know, it's just, it's a waste. But, you know, we, we embrace new products and, and we always have. And I, I think one of the things we wanted to do is pretty much show what everything can do working together in the RH3000 from using uh, Eldorado Incognito in the Whirlpool for bitterness in aromatics, uh, using Spectrum. We actually used our Spectrum a little differently uh, than recommended. We actually added the spe uh, Spectrum directly into the yeast pitch that was in the primary fermenter. So when the work got cooled into it, uh, we would make sure that it would get mixed up properly. And we were hopefully trying to get uh, some biotransformation character with that interaction of the yeast during a, a vigorous fermentation there. Uh, but then when we went to dry hop this baby, we did it, we dry hopped primarily with Lupomax products. We did uh, Brew One, Lupo, uh, Columbus, Mosaic, and Lupo Eldorado. And then we also uh, used 132 pounds of Citra Type 90 in there just to make sure we do or did have some uh, vegetal matter in there as well. But, you know, it was really cool because on, on a brew that we filled up the brew kettle to 105 barrels, uh, we knocked out about 95 barrels to the fermentation tank after an hour boil. And then uh, our dry hop combining the Lupo and the Type 90 was right at 3.8 pounds per barrel. So that was almost about half of the poundage that we would normally dry hop one of our DDH uh, hazy IPAs with. And then the really awesome thing was our yield ended up being, it was right about 84 barrels. So we were right at about 88% yield uh, in the bright tank from what we, the work that we sent to the fermentation tank. So it just goes to show you that throughout the process, less vegetal matter in the uh, the brew kettle and in the fermentation tank and the dry hop leads to more finished beer. And that's, you know, that's the bottom line. And it was just so aromatic and clean and flavorful. Uh, and it was just, I mean, right off the line too. A lot of times we talk with brewers and we joke around, we say, yeah, you know, sometimes hazies need to chill out in the can for about three or four weeks before you even want to approach them. But I mean, this baby right off the line was super clean and easy drinking and just very flavorful and very bright, I think is how I would describe it. Bright in all aspects. Yeah, I get a lot of orange myself. Jeff and I were talking, it's just mm -hmm. like an orange bomb. Mm -hmm. Big sweet fruit orange bomb, it's wonderful. And 8% too, which is dangerous when it's this uh, balanced and drinkable, <laughs> but- um, Definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. What do you normally get from a yield gym on a double dry hop series that's got just T90 or, or whole leaf? You know, we have probably been about as low as 74 to 75%. And I would say we probably average in the high 70s. Maybe we can normally scratch 80, 81% yeah. uh, with, you know, a seven pound per barrel type 90 dry hop. So uh, a significant yield increase for sure. 
Yeah, I got to give Edder and Max a shout out for getting on the scissor lift and uh, being safe and getting the spectrum in, in the tank and <laughs> and Jeff and everybody doing a little of the incognito is kind of a fun part of the brew day. I want to ask Jeff a question from from being out there in Chicago. What was it like to, to brew with the guys at Rev? And It was fun to finally get a chance to get out of Yakima. I've been stuck here for two years in COVID to basically go brew with friends in the in the end. It was a lot of fun getting to have some experience on a bigger brew house we don't always get a chance to do that but the hospitality of you guys showing us around and just the involvement that we got to have with you guys in developing this beer was awesome and i really appreciate it yeah the it's interesting to our industry is such a people because beer brings us all together but it's such a people driven industry and the folks that are on your brew house in your cellar on the package line that are getting this done for us every day all day uh, they need a big shout out as well. Uh, and the entire team, your sales team that's out there, got to meet some of those folks. So it's pretty cool the things you guys are doing. Hey, we appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It, it was an honor to have you guys out. Uh, like I said, it, we've been looking to do this, for, looking forward to doing this for so long. It was really great to finally see a, a project come to fruition and, you know, for it to be such a collaborative effort too. Um, you know, with, with a collaboration, I think it's best and where we end up with the best product when you get everyone talking about it and, you know, adding their input suggestions in their uh, types of varieties, grain bills, starting gravity, you know, what are we targeting as an ending gravity? It's like, you know, just talking about all these points is going to really, I think, yield the best finished product. I like how you said that yield the best fin finished product. Put that in there as a fun. <laughs> no, joking. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the year you guys have had. Um, I've been following the press a little bit. Fobab, I got a chance to talk to Marty when I was there. You guys obviously know Marty very well and uh, your entire barrel program, but it's really become robust. It has a lot of options. We got to try vanilla vanilla death when we were in, in town. Um, other other great beers, but you guys have won awards, the European Beer Star Award for a hazy and barrel-aged beer. What's this been like with just kind of, it seems like it's all happened so fast in such a short time frame, I guess. And then I don't know if you can talk a little bit about um, some of the barrel programs and then how this all has happened so quickly for you guys and this success in barrel-aged, hazies, IPA, Pilsners. Yeah, we, you know, we've been very fortunate with, um, competition in 2021 um see very special old jacket our vsoj uh one of our extended aged uh barley wines uh won a gold medal in the barley wine slash wheat wine category at uh Fobab, and it actually also won a, a runner-up for best of show which we were super proud of um the barrel program is a big deal it, it everyone in the company touches it and is a part of it uh, Marty manages that program very closely along with Victor, but everyone's deeply involved in it. Evan, Brian Turner, who's our lead seller, and then David, lead brewer. I mean, you know, planning these brews and executing these big high gravity brews is, is always very complicated and uh, making sure that the beer is as clean as possible and nice and clear going into barrels and just handling the beer as gently as possible, giving it the proper aging time. Um, it's a very complex uh, program for sure and we release so many there's so many different beers that we've released so it's uh it's quite an undertaking to manage that and to keep track of all the different making sure you have the proper quantities of beer for the 
for the volumes that we're going to require. Uh, some of, of the barrel-aged beers have been fruited. Some have gotten coffee additions, uh, vanilla beans, maple syrup. We've experimented with, with quite a few things, but my favorite, I think, are, are just the straight-up beers that uh, don't have any uh, additions to them that really showcase the time and the barrel and the, all the care along the way that goes into it. Because there's a lot of steps, a lot of chances for things to go wrong along the way from receiving the barrels and dropping them and dinging them and then they're going to lead to, uh, you know, countless issues in the cellar. So uh, it, it's a very complicated process and we're very proud of uh, the beers that we produce there for sure. I think you guys were some of the first to can uh, barrel-aged beers, which I think has been a big hit for folks that uh, are into the style and and, you know, you traditionally think of a bottle um, when you're drinking this or, but to get, to get a can, it's worked out pretty well for you guys, hasn't it? It has, you know, we were a little nervous because we were switching, uh, initially all our deep wood beers were, uh, being packaged on a little, uh, forehead filler that just wasn't very robust and it was harder to clean and sanitize and maintain. And we, you know, we came to the decision long ago, we're like, we're a canning brewery, we're going to we're going to can everything we make, whether it's a Belgian Saison or a, you know, a, a double barrel uh, extended age barley wine or a Pilsner. It's all going into a can and we weren't quite sure how it was going to be received, quite honestly. I mean, <laughs> you know, we were pleasantly surprised to see that people embraced it as, as much as they did. Uh, and we've really kind of run with it since and have really been having a good time experimenting with different beers and different adjuncts to add as well, but also different, uh, different barrels uh, to try to source cool oak alternatives and uh, different staves, pieces of staves that we can add to barrels and just kind of create like hybrid barrels. So we've been having a really fun time with it and it's, it's been a great program for us. And uh, we, you know, we look forward to continuing uh, both qual uh, trying to increase quality and uh, innovative beers in that, in that program as well. Well, if you're getting awards like uh, runner-up best and show up FOBAB, I think you're on onto something there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were very proud of that for sure. All right, let's talk about, um, you guys do great kettle sours. You have uh, um, Freedom of Expression, I believe, is one of your beers. Is that correct? That's correct. And talk to me about the, the sours and, and kind of staying with the beer focus because you guys are, you're all in on beer, <laughs> not other products. Ev, you want to touch on that one? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, kettle sours have been a pretty big thing for us. You know, I think the first one we did, correct me if I'm wrong, but freedom of speech was the first kettle sour that we did, and that did pretty well. So we decided, you know, let's play around with this a little more, play around with some different fruits and whatnot. And uh, that led us to, you know, Freedom Variety Pack, which was pretty cool. And that's a Freedom Expression, like Micah said. That's a strawberry rhubarb kettle sour. Um, what else do we have in there? Blueberry ginger um, and uh, black currants. The, the addition of different fruits and other things, um, you know, are, are still in the works and we continue to come out with, with different things and whatnot. Um, but yeah, for me, the kettle sour program was, or is, um, you know, exciting. It, it's just to see it scale. I, I, when we first started making them, I really didn't, 
think that so many people were into those were into those types of beers, but I was I was wrong. I would admit that. And uh, yeah, I mean they're great. They're a great addition to our portfolio. I mean I I really just think that we you know we want to be able to experiment with all styles of beer, and you know that's what we're going to stick to. So. Well, balanced drinkability. I don't know what the pH on some of these are, but some of these sour beers that I've had are just so intense. And it's like when I have a hazy that is like live yeast in my stomach or just, you know, like I want to be able to enjoy. And this is me personally, but everyone has their own style and taste and there's something out there for everybody. But when you're talking about like a crowd favorite or a mainstream acceptance uh, with this program, I really think it shows the quality and and at least you're hitting on what that demographic or what, what people that want a sour beer want to drink and want to keep coming back for. And then these different flavor combinations, which leads us to what I said, I, I was there. This is going to blow up. This is going to blow up the spring <laughs> and summer freedom lemonade. It's a beer, but I, I could drink that all day, all night <laughs> on the lake uh, in the hot Yakima sunshine. I hope some makes it out to hop harvest, but talk to me about uh, this extension. Now the alternative to the alternative. Jim, I'll yeah. let you take that one away. <laughs> Sounds good. Freedom Lemonade has been uh, a big project for all of us. Uh, Andy and I have worked on it extensively and trialed this one more than any other beer that we've ever done at Revolution. I mean, we've been trialing this for, for months. And what it is, is our Freedom base, which is our, our kettle sour base. And uh, we take that to the fermentation tank. When that's done fermenting, what we do is we have created a a lemon simple syrup that we add back to that beer. And then we actually add some lemon concentrate and some lemon uh, zest oil extract to it to really give it the pop of a a true lemonade. Because when you drink a, a true freshly squeezed lemonade, it has a sweetness from the sugar, but it also has that tartness and that big lemon aromatic to it and that's what is uh super appealing about this beer is that you know you pick up a little bit of that tartness from the kettle souring but it's kind of balanced out by that sweetness and that simple syrup that we add back to this beer but there's just a lot of layers of lemon going on in there and it's very easy drinking at four and a half percent abv um if we send that uh, some more of that out for you micah you're gonna have to get another uh recycling bin for your house because <laughs> I'm all about it, Jim. I'm all about it. I, it's, it's funny when you when you talk about this, like you want the sweetness, the tartness, it's easy to come up with that concept, but to actually dial in this recipe and to get it to where it's ready for prime time. I, I know talking to Andy a little bit too, like there's a lot of work that goes into getting this where you want it as a brewer and then as a company and to put out into the market. So sounds like you guys have reached the, uh, the launch point here now where you're ready to ready to introduce it to the world. Yeah, we're really excited about it. And, you know, it's great to see that excitement in the brew team. It's like if if the brew team doesn't believe in a project or doesn't like it or they don't think that the quality is where it needs to be, it, you know, I, I think that you're kind of behind the eight ball there uh, and it's hard to recover from that. But when you have a product that everyone really believes in and when they taste it, they're like, wow, I really dig this. And the, the sales team was fully into it and enjoying it, the packaging team. It's like, when you see everyone enjoying everything, you know, the product, I, I think that uh, it, it's very rewarding for us. But then you also know that you, I think you've got something when when you have everyone very positive about it in your company, then I think you're out, you're in going in the, in the correct direction. And 
it also gives us the ability to riff on that as well and you know create some some different lemonades as well like a raspberry lemonade a peach lemonade or a blueberry lemonade or you know the the world is our oyster there so i i feel that now that we have that lemonade base uh where we want it that we can you know really endlessly riff off of that and have a lot of fun and good time with it you're heading towards my kind of wrap-up question for you both a little bit is what's to come you guys have had a big year obviously freedom lemonade's coming out uh is there anything you're excited about in the pipeline that you can talk about or is there there'll obviously be other double dry hop beers there'll be other hero beers anything that we should keep an eye on is it first quarter second quarter uh whatever you can tell us from that standpoint i'll start if you're cool with that yeah absolutely well, we've got one beer in the tank that I always look forward to. It was one of my favorites that we brewed at the brew pub, and it was really cool to see it being brewed at Kedzie for a 16-ounce release. Uh, it was a perfect example of using both of our brew houses because it was a 60-barrel batch of beer. So we mashed in on brew house number two using the power of the bigger brew house. And then we soft-lined, or we had our, our beer hose that we extended from the lauder ton uh, to brew brew kettle number one. So it allowed us to fill that kettle to right about 60 barrels in because we didn't want to do a full 150 barrels of this. We like to touch on these uh, different styles and uh, different lagers that we love brewing and drinking so much. But uh, Baphomet is a true German style Bach uh, right at 6.66% ABV. Uh, very mellow on the, on the bitterness uh, using a lot of really awesome uh, Wireman specialty malts in there just a really nice smooth drinking beer and it's one of those beers where you taste it and you just hope people I think you, you see people's eyes start getting wide again because they're like they're tasting something and they're like what it, what am I like those are specialty malts you probably forgot what those are there's some caramel malt in there and there's some chocolate malt and some carafa in there and a lot of Munich malt just like these really nice toasty uh, layers of malty flavor, toasted malts, caramelized malts, a little bit of dark malt. It just makes for a super smooth, round, easy drinking beer. And that baby is lagering as we speak, but I think it's on the schedule for getting centrifuged here very soon. So very shortly, I will be enjoying one of those. <laughs> this weekend. Yes. <laughs> well, you get a test uh, it for quality out of the tank. Evan, take it away. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, you know we've got another another beer in the pipeline that uh, I believe is out at this point or almost. You know it's close. It's definitely coming out quarter one. We brewed a hazy pale ale called Hazy Pitch in collaboration, or not really in collaboration, but in partnership with the Chicago Fire football team. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just a, a great, easy drinking beer. Honestly, it's, it's got to, it's dry hop with some Nelson, some Citra, some Mosaic Eldorado. Just, uh, I, I've been crushing these lately. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that, that's what I, that's what I'm, uh, that I've been drinking on. Hazy pitch. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's, yeah. um, and they're, they're selling at the football game or the soccer game, as we say in the, the, the U.S. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Our European friends will love both those uh, suggestions that you made. Our yeah. friends at Barth Hauser are all about, all about what's going on. This is cool. I really appreciate your guys' time. I know um, 
for for us, uh, it's an honor to be on the on the label with you. There's a lot of collabs that happen, I think, in brewing, but uh, to me, when like you said, there's two parties that are uh, coming at this from a meaningful standpoint and trying to learn more, experiment more, and at the end of the day, make great beer that we all want to drink. Uh, that's all you can yep. really ask for. So really appreciate you guys and the crew and everything you do for our industry. Cheers to our friends at Riv. Josh. Cheers. Jim. Cheers. Cheers, gentlemen. Thank you for uh, participating in this collab with us. It's so great to see it finally uh, get brewed and be able to sit here and uh, enjoy this beer, both in Chicago and Yakima at the same time. So that, that's pretty awesome. And I, I think the label on this beer is, is super cool too. We didn't get a chance to touch on that. It was kind of uh, leaning on the fact that we're using a lot of the newer age hop products in there. Uh, so one of the things that we were thinking about is having like a Terminator character, because uh, when the Terminator would go back in time, whenever he would pop up, that little blue ball would completely like burn a hole in no matter what it was next to, whether it was like a truck or a building or anything. So our thought was to have like this Terminator hop character kind of coming back from the future and landing right in the middle of uh, uh, a row of hops. So that that little blue globe would just kind of like burn a perfect circle right in the middle of the of the hop field but uh, I, I think that label came together beautifully and I, I think the whole finished beer uh, as an easy drinking beer as it is at eight you know eight percent ABV it, it's hard to believe it's not cloyingly sweet it's nice and dry but all those uh, flaked materials that we use in there you know really give that beer a, a smooth silkiness and velvetiness and it, if you ask me what the ABV on it was, tasting it finally, I would think maybe five or six. I would never, never even broach uh, the eight percent mark. No, I'm glad it's eight, but it does taste like five or six, and <laughs> keeps you warm in the winter time. Sure does. Sure does. Indeed. Well, thanks for again for coming on the Haas Hopcast. We will definitely be staying in touch and seeing how things are going at Revolution in 2022. And uh, who knows? You know this. Uh, Terminator type concept with the blue ball. Maybe there'll be a another version of the uh, of the double dry hop series Revolution Hot Club. You never know, right? You never know. Never know. Thanks for joining us on the Haas Hopcast. A lot of fun today. Got to give a shout out to Doug Velicki to learn more about RH three thousand. We'd had an interview with Doug on our website, JohnIHaas.com, on our blog. You can check it out, uh, see the cool label art we discussed, and uh, learn more about the beer, how it all came together. Stay tuned for more fun in 2022, and thank you for tuning in.